hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. You're listening to Queer Money episode 204. A member of the Queer Money Facebook group asked us to cover today's topic. Zach suggested that we talk about the different types of financial advisors. Zach alluded to this term fiduciary as one type, but there are other things that separate one financial advisor from another. All of these are good to know when you're considering using an advisor. And like usual, we took a poll in the Queer Money Facebook group. So stick around to find out the results. I want to remind you all that via this podcast, our DebtFreeGuys.com website, our courses, the Queer Money Facebook group, and our social media feeds, we are here through the good and bad times to provide you with the support you need. Don't hesitate to reach out to us if you need specific help via questions at DebtFreeGuys.com. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. The foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. A bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost and watch your credit score improve by 5 to 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. Now, on with the show. I hope you are all doing well or as best as you can during these hard trying times. Yes, uh, you're just getting me again this week. Here in the Debt Free Guys household, we're also dealing with a variety of issues that this pandemic has thrust upon us. And for that reason, you just get me. So hopefully, John will be back with us next week. Uh, As I mentioned in the outset this week, we're talking about financial advisors, breaking down the different types of financial advisors so that you can be better prepared when you want to look for one or need to assess if the one you have right now is the best fit for you. So some of you may be saying, why do I need a financial advisor? I can do it all on my own. Well, that may be true for some of us, right? Some people can do that and some people can't. Some folks have a keen interest in managing their own money, enjoy doing research and want to be hands-on when it comes to choosing their investments or investment strategy. That's not the case for everyone, right? (laughs) Nor does everyone have the time. Sometimes we just need to offload this part of our life to someone else and we're willing to pay for it. So for those of you who fall into this latter group, now or in the future, this show is for you. And of course, we asked in the Queer Money Facebook group how many of you use a financial advisor, and we gave some options. We wanted to know if there were a significant number or just a few, and uh, the options were, one, no, I do it all on my own, two, yes, I have one now, three, no, but I'm curious about using one. And four, which was added by someone else, yes, sometimes I have a CFP review or plan. And uh, so it was kind of interesting for us to know how the group is dealing with this aspect of their lives. How many of you have a financial advisor or those of you who don't? 52 people responded to the poll. 
And it was quite interesting. Almost half, uh, 24, said that you don't have one and you do it all on your own, which is great. I, I think that for those of you who have the time and the passion and the desire and the capability, it's nice to be able to do that on your own because you do have a, a, a little bit more nimble and right at the time ability to take control of your financial situation or your investing, especially when the markets are up and down. 18 of you, though, said that you don't have one, but you're curious about using one. So that's almost a third of you. Uh, Again, that's why we're doing this podcast, because so many of you are curious or interested in them. Nine uh, said that you do have one right now. And then, of course, the one response uh, from Allison, who said that, yes, sometimes I had a CFP review our plan, which is interesting because it kind of pointed out to us one of these additional aspects of using a financial advisor. So we're not that surprised that so many of you in the group have this desire to manage your own money. But it does also ask the question, do you perform better or worse than a financial advisor? Right? There's all these stories out there about how my financial advisor does great or my financial advisor took me to the cleaners. And data has shown that over time, financial advisors typically perform better when the market is down and not as well when the market is going up, which is oftentimes the time period when many people decide to switch from using a financial advisor to not using a financial advisor. I know this personally from experience, uh, having been in the finance space and listening to individuals talk about how they were getting rid of their financial advisor or signing up for a new financial advisor. And it seemed like when the market was doing poorly, they complained about their financial advisor. And when it was doing well, they thought they could do it on their own. So it's kind of interesting. I would be curious to find out how more of you in the group feel like you compare against financial advisors. But that's not the point of this. this. The point of this podcast really is to talk about the different types of financial advisors. And the reason, part of the reason why Zach wanted to point this out, I think, is because of the nature of how some people do feel like they're maybe being taken advantage of by a financial advisor. So we kind of wanted to break down the differences of financial advisors. And the first part here really has to do with how it is that a financial advisor gets paid. And so you may have heard these terms, a fee-only or a fee-based financial advisor. So what's the difference? What's a fee-only financial advisor? Well, a fee-only financial advisor means that that financial advisor can only be paid by their clients. So if you are one of the clients of this financial advisor, you know that the only way that this financial advisor is making money is from you as a client. They cannot be paid by other outside sources, such as fund companies or maybe referrals from other service providers. Say, for example, if they work with or know of a tax accountant, that tax accountant cannot pay them for referrals to that tax accountant. So they're really dedicated to and primarily looking out for the clients that they work with. And they cannot earn commissions on the products that they recommend. So say, for example, they want to encourage you to buy a particular fund or invest in a particular management firm. They are not going to be making money off of that recommendation. They oftentimes then are paid based on a flat fee. 
so they can be paid on this flat fee, or sometimes they have an hourly fee, especially if they want to work, if you want to work with them for just a period of time to say, for example, do a portfolio checkup, or they can be paid as a percentage of assets under management, which is most common, but you'll find that fee-based advisors are willing to come up with a fee structure that does work for you and your specific needs. And the other thing that you'll typically find with a fee-only advisor is that they act as a fiduciary. Now, we'll cover what fiduciary means later on, but keep that in mind that fee-only advisors oftentimes act as a fiduciary. All right, so what's the opposite of a fee-only? Well, that's a fee-based. And so many of the things we just mentioned about a fee-only advisor, the only way that they can get paid, it's just the opposite. So fee-based advisors, yes, they are paid by their clients. They are paid by individuals that they work with, but they can also be paid by other sources, such as fund companies, referrals from other service providers, which does allow them the opportunity then to provide their services to maybe a smaller number of people and be able to focus their attention on the needs of a smaller group of individuals because they're able to make money in a variety of ways. I don't want to point out that one is good and one is bad here. Oftentimes, that's the feeling that a lot of individuals have, but there are both good and bad fee-based and fee-only financial advisors. So the other thing is, is that fee-based advisors can earn a commission on products that they recommend. So they may have a suite of products that they use as a way to make additional income and they recommend those products to you. They are also typically a registered advisor not acting as a fiduciary. So oftentimes that means that these fee-based advisors are a part of or they themselves are a registered investment advisor, a registered investment advisor firm. So they themselves are the firm and uh, so they are a registered advisor. Fee only, not always that, that case. Now, one of the important things to bring up here is when you're looking for an advisor and you're looking at the fees as well as the types of advisors, one of the things you want to ask for, either if you already have an advisor, ask them for this, or if you don't have an advisor and you're out there searching, ask to see their ADV form, specifically the second part of the ADV form. Now, this ADV form requires the investment advisors to prepare a narrative brochure written in plain English, something that we can all understand, that contains information about the types of advisory services that they offer. It also is plain English as to how they structure their fees. It also provides any disciplinary information. So if this advisor has been had a significant number of registered complaints against the advisor, or they themselves have had some sort of disciplinary action, then that kind of information will be listed. It'll also share if they have any conflicts of interest and the educational and business background of the management and key advisory personnel of that advisory firm. So this form, this ADV part two form especially, is basically your way of doing a little bit of homework about your financial advisor. Gives you some indication about what kinds of services they're going to provide. 
whether or not they've had any di- disciplinary actions. Also, how much their uh, services are going to cost you. And it's good to have that kind of information, not only when you're shopping, but to keep that handy so that you make sure that that is actually happening, that you're being charged correctly for the services that they're providing. The DeFree guys want to encourage you to exercise extra caution right now, as there have been an increased number of fraud, phishing, and other scams during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, let's get back to this idea of fiduciary versus non-fiduciary. And really, what's happening here is this idea of looking out for the best interest of the client. And so, Some may say, well, doesn't that make sense that they would always be looking out for my best interest? Well, yes and no. The idea here is that there's specific guidelines. A fiduciary is required to put their client's best interests before their own. And so that's specific to things like, for example, maybe seeking the best prices or terms when it comes to getting or purchasing stocks. So they would never look for or try to match the same price that they would get for themselves as they would get for you when trading a stock. So they want to make sure that their account doesn't conflict with yours. A couple of other things that's good about a fiduciary is they act in good faith and provide all relevant facts to their clients. So they're not going to be hiding anything or they're allegedly not going to be hiding anything from you. Remember here, this fiduciary is a guideline and it does allow you with some recourse if they are listed as a fiduciary. They will avoid conflicts of interest and disclose any potential conflicts of interest to their clients. So again, back to this idea of maybe they have a relationship with an existing firm or maybe a relationship with a management company that they want you to use to manage a portion of your portfolio. They will disclose that kind of information to you. They will also do their best to ensure that the advice that they provide is accurate and thorough. Again, makes sense that everyone would do that, all financial advisors, but this is specifically written down as the guidelines to be fiduciary. You have to do this. They would also avoid using the client's assets to benefit themselves, such as purchasing securities from their own account before buying them for you as a client, or say, for example, selling out of your account and into their own to get themselves a better price. No, they can't or would not do something like this. Now, what's the difference then if someone is not a non-fiduciary? Well, it's not that they will not be any of the things that we've listed with fiduciary, but there's a specific rule or guideline when it comes to financial advisors. And this is kind of what the general rule has been, is that they are required to fulfill what is called a suitability rule. Basically, they're they're making recommendations that are best suited for you. Now, that may in some case appear as if they're doing something that would be a conflict of interest, but it still may be suitable for you. So even though it may appear as a conflict of interest, it may be in your best interest for them to do something like that. So in this case, they may not disclose this conflict of interest, but it still is in your best interest. They also may be more loyal to a broker dealer and not necessarily to the client. So this is where we get some a little bit of a gray area. So for example, they may be loyal to the firm that they are working with 
over necessarily being loyal to you as a client. That's where it gets a little gray. The other thing is, is that there are less strict requirements for them disclosing these conflicts of interest. So they aren't necessarily going to share all these on their ADV form. So that gives you an idea what the difference is between the two. Obviously, this is something that when you're doing your shopping or looking for or working with a financial advisor, you're going to want to look for one that is in your best interest, right? Generally, the idea is that someone who is acting as a fiduciary is going to be held to a higher level of standards. So most people choose to work with someone who is a fiduciary. So keep in mind that not all of them are. So you may run into that when you're out shopping for a financial advisor. But there are other types of financial advisors. And I wanted to discuss some of these because when it comes to this idea of managing it all on your own, we may find that some of you are actually not necessarily managing it all on your own, (laughs) but you're just not using a a true in-person financial advisor. So what are the breakdowns of kinds of financial advisors? Well, at the very, I don't want to say the bottom of the list, but at the very least amount of service level of the list is what are called robo-advisors. Now, you may be familiar with some firms that are considered robo-advisors, companies like Betterment or Wealthfront. These are companies where they offer a really low barrier to entry. Uh, For some of these, you can open an account with as little as nothing. You can open the account and then fund it in whatever manner that you're able to. Some of these allow you to fund it with your spare change. So again, low barrier of entry. And because of that, there oftentimes are very low management fees, usually less than a quarter of a percent. Oftentimes, the way that they find out how or the best way to invest for you is by doing an online survey. So they're going to basically be using electronic tools to figure out how to best invest for you. Zero to minimal human contact helps them keep their fees low and be able to allow you to open an account with basically nothing in the account and fund it with much lower amount. So when are these good for? They're great when you're just starting out and you don't have much money to invest. You know, it's kind of like for many people, this is the training wheels of investments. You can get into these accounts sometimes for as little as $5 a month. Uh, And the nice thing is, is it allows you to kind of creep into the idea of what investing is. There's a place and a time for robo-advisors. And honestly, I think that a lot of people are getting comfortable and starting to enter the investing world through these robo-advisors. The next step up from a robo-advisor is an online advisor. And you say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a robo-advisor and online advisor? Well, they are kind of similar, but there are some slight variations. Now, you may have heard of firms like Personal Capital or M1. These are a little bit more than just a robo-advisor. Now, again, they oftentimes have these low barrier to entry, low fees. Uh, You can invest in some cases for as little as as nothing, but also some of them are as high as $25,000 to get into. The management fees are a little bit more moderate, sometimes between a quarter of a percent and 1%. But here is one of the differences. You have minimal human contact, not zero human contact. So some of these online advisors, they will do some 
modest portfolio management based on what you need specific to uh, your investing style. And they can find out that information by doing both online surveys or pairing you up with a contact, oftentimes a team of people or uh, maybe a call-in number. And so you're getting a little bit more service, but it's not dedicated investment advice just for you. Now, when are these good for? Well, again, they're great for when you're first starting out and you have a little bit more money to invest. They're also great for when you have a little bit of money to invest, a moderate amount of money to invest, but you still want some basic services. You want to be involved a little bit yourself. Now let's move on to the high touch, the highest end or the high level of financial advisors, which I think is the area where many people, when I asked the question in the Queer Money Facebook group, that's where they said, well, I don't use a financial advisor, right? These are your traditional financial advisors. Firms kind of like Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan. These are the kinds of firms that you would go into, typically go into an office, have a dedicated individual you're working with. You would sign up for one of these services through maybe a search tool like Guidevine or Smart Assets. Or maybe you've been recommended by a friend or say, for example, you had an existing relationship with a bank and that bank encouraged you to go use this financial advisor. So the traditional financial advisors are going to have the highest barrier to entry. Oftentimes you need to have at least 100000 some cases 250000 or even $500,000 of investable assets to be able to work with a financial advisor. So the whole purpose here is that the larger amount of assets basically allows them to give you more service. And oftentimes the management fees are typically somewhere between 1% or even a little bit higher. And then oftentimes the management fees drop depending on your asset level, how much money you have invested. So say, for example, they may have a fee of 1% on the first $1 million that you have invested. And then three quarters of a percent on amount between 1 million and 5 million. And then anything above 5 million, maybe at half a percent. So really the idea here is that they're going to be providing you with a lot of service, especially if you have a large amount of money, but they don't want to have a flat fee. So they have this kind of graduated fee. The great thing about these kinds of financial advisors is oftentimes you have a dedicated individual. They are going to be doing planning around more than just your investments. They're going to be looking at other aspects of your life and oftentimes making recommendations on things that you should be doing that are going to contribute to your overall financial ability throughout your life. Things like if you're planning to have children Or how do you take care of your estate when you pass away? Or what kinds of trusts would be good for you if you have family that you want to take care of or you want to give your money to specific organizations when you pass away? This kind of financial advisor is going to be doing a little bit more of a holistic planning, a little bit more than just managing your money. The other thing is that these are uh, great financial advisors to use when you have a significant amount of money and not a lot of time. But you still want to make sure that your specific needs are being met. You're going to get a lot of detailed advice, especially advice around taxes and investing. So those are the different types of financial advisors. 
want to remind you that as you're searching or thinking about using a financial advisor, take into consideration not just the individuals that you know or whom you've talked to, but do some research online about the kinds of firms that you would want to work with. If you are looking for a financial advisor, take a look at your local LGBT Chamber of Commerce to see what financial advisors are members of the local Chamber of Commerce. That way you can get a picture of firms that want to or willing to work with LGBT individuals or they themselves might also be a part of the queer community. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway for this episode. For each of us, we have different needs, right? When it comes to our financial advice, be cautious when you're seeking out a financial advisor. Look for someone who is a fiduciary that has your best interest listed first. If you're interested in using a financial advisor, ask around to see who is having a good experience and use your local LGBT chamber to find one that will support you and your unique needs as well as the community. Again, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. Thanks again, and have a great week. The Debt Free Guys want to encourage you to remember to use mobile and virtual banking services during this time. Also, remember those who may not have grown up using these kinds of services and lend a hand wherever possible. Remember, the foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke, is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experium Boost and watch your credit score improve between 5 and 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.